0: Welcome to Raw the Podcast with Emma and Amy, where we talk real and raw with mamas who have had to fight and be fierce, who have been thrown curveballs and faced adversity. We discuss
1: everything from premature birth and NICU life to special needs and infant loss. Nothing is off topic. We hope that by opening up and being vulnerable, we can break down the walls and start to remove some of the shame and stigma associated with these traumatic experiences while helping other mamas feel less alone.
0: I'm Emma, a rural living mum to two premier and medically complex girls, Hazel Earthside and our warrior Willow up in the stars.
1: And I'm Amy, special needs and medical mummer to premier boys James and Jack, and a fierce advocate for the premier and special needs community.
0: We don't share your average mummer stories, and this isn't your average podcast. Raw is unrefined and breaks through the bullshit of navigating guilt, grief, and trauma. I mean, let's be honest. We've been through more shit than some could ever imagine. So at this point, we don't really have a filter. But with this being said, please note, we do talk about sensitive topics in our episodes, which we know can be distressing. We give this warning simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Please take care of yourselves and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it.
1: And lastly... Let us assure you that it's not all bad and sad. Above all, we hope to shine a light on the life-changing perspective and appreciation that only these experiences can give you. We share the overwhelming joys and triumphs that our little miracles, both here and in heaven, bring to our lives, and we discuss the inspiration and hope we have gained from this community. While our experiences are individually unique, we are forever a part of something truly special, a community of fierce mama bears and their cubs navigating the storm, and together we'll roar.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Raw the podcast. We are so very excited and honored today to be interviewing the incredibly inspiring Sydney Hatcher. Sydney is a best-selling author and the founder of a non-for-profit organization. But above all, she is a mother of four daughters, Holland, Carmen, Mia and Mariah. After losing her second daughter, Carmen, to a rare genetic anomaly, Sydney was inspired to start her poetic journey and wrote her first book and started her charitable organisation, Carmen's Miracle Makers, which provides care boxes for families of critically ill children enduring lengthy stays in the paediatric intensive care unit.
1: Welcome, Sydney. I'm actually feeling a little bit starstruck today. I'm a little bit nervous (laughs) having you here. You're making me
2: nervous, girl. <laughs> How are you? Oh my goodness. I am so well. And honestly, I feel like I need to like take a trip to see you because my name is Sydney and I've always wanted <laughs> to visit my homeland. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for having me.
0: No, thank you for coming. So Sydney, tell us a little bit about your family, your children, where you're from. Obviously, our audience will be able to pick up your accent and tell that you are not Australian. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Certainly. So I am from the US. I live in Culpeper, Virginia. Um, we just moved here about nine months ago. Um, we are close to dc that's where most people would um you know understand where we're from um i have four girls i always say i have four girls so thank you so much for including all of them my oldest just turned six and my youngest is 10 months so that's uh, four girls in six years (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) and
1: your oldest is obviously in school
2: She is. She is in kindergarten this year. um, So that's been exciting, getting her own little personality. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. It's a fun age. Good fun. So Carmen, your second little girl was born early and you were thrown into the life of NICU very suddenly. Carmen had an extremely rare heart condition and in just the first 11 weeks of her life, she had three major surgeries resulting in a partially reconstructed heart with a device numerous procedures, three MRIs, five blood transfusions, over 100 x-rays, countless lines with continuous medications, chest tubes, breathing tubes, wires and ports, and was paralysed and sedated for most of that time. Can you please explain her condition to us and how or when you came to know about it?
2: Certainly. So (laughs) Carmen had an anomaly that had never been seen before. She was born at 34 weeks, and we did not know until after four days of life, um, one out of six doctors heard a heart murmur. None of the others heard it. Um, From there, there was some um, debate about her chin being pushed back, so they started doing some genetic testing, and um, that's when they found out um, that she had this anomaly. There is no term for it, no overarching name. Um, so it was very startling for us, um, shocking one that she had this diagnosis that we did not know about, but also, you know, there was no educational pamphlets, no support groups, no one really knew what this meant for her. She had a list of assumed cans for her life, um, but this unknown condition actually ended up being a blessing for our family because no doctors could turn her away because they did not know what she was going to be capable yeah. of. Um so that was why she had these surgeries and um, you know, the doctors and surgeons did give her a chance because they just didn't know.
1: Is it quite rare to um not know about a heart anomaly until after the birth? Like from what I know of my community, lots of mums actually find out Um, about heart conditions in neutro, is it because hers was so rare?
2: I had a very interesting pregnancy with Carmen. Um, I was very small, um, which was not very shocking, but I actually, at 20 weeks, my appendix had ruptured and I had to have surgery. And that was at the time when her um, um, anatomy scan would have been. Um, I think because of the surgery that I had, it was sort of missed. Um, we did even, even at 34 weeks when I was in labor, they were still doing, um, ultrasounds, trying to figure out, you know, why she was coming early. And it really is such a mystery because her kidneys and her heart should have been picked up and Mm -hmm. it wasn't. Um, so all of the doctors were like, you know, she just wanted to, this to be a surprise because yeah. uh, typically those things would have been seen.
0: Yeah, what a massive shock that would have been for you. Had you ever experienced NICU life before, Carmen? Like, was this completely all new
2: to you? Mm-hmm. Um, so Holland was actually born at a birth center. I was terrified of hospitals, so mm-hmm. I did everything I could to be out of the hospital. Um and that was my original plan with Carmen. However, because she was coming early, I was transferred care to a hospital which ended up saving her life. Um if she had been born at a birth center, she m- most likely would have come home because we would have just thought that she was small. Yeah. Um and those things would not have been caught. Yeah. So I am thankful, you know, that we were at a hospital for her birth. Yeah,
0: definitely. So what were the early days in the NICU like for you experiencing all that for the first time and especially not being a lover of hospitals that would have all been pretty overwhelming for you?
2: It was dark. Um, It was very isolating. It was like learning a new language. Um, it seemed like every day there was a new puzzle piece to Carmen. Um, You know, the genetic testing did not come back right away. So it was several weeks of just figuring things out. And so every day it was being shattered all over again. You would think that, okay, all right, the heart. Okay, we can manage this. And then the next day it would be the brain. Okay, the next day was the kidneys and then the stomach. And over and over it was this little girl that, you know – I, you you hold for the first time and they're perfect yeah and then people tell you that she's not over and over and that was it was devastating um, to just look at this helpless little girl in the in the isolate and love them so dearly and just think that there's all these things that are wrong
1: and then so how long did you spend in Nicu before you then? I'm assuming, did you go
2: over to PICU f- directly from NICU or did you get to go home? So she was in the NICU for about a month and then she was transferred up to the PICU because they had difficult time getting her lines in. Um, she was in the PICU for a few weeks before her first heart surgery, which was at six weeks old. Her entire time in the hospital between NICU and PICU was 194 days.
1: Yeah, wow. Wow. And I read um, that in the PICU, yeah, almost 200 days, and you still managed to find brightness in the smallest of moments, including weekly photo shoots, which I absolutely love. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so (laughs) I feel like Carmen taught me how to celebrate um, all sorts of things. You know, there's there's milestone cards that you get when you have a, a typical baby that's like, you know, took my first steps or crawled or said dada. And I felt like for Carmen, um, you know, there was a lot of grief in her life. I grieved her entire life from the day she was born because, you know, I grieved not being able to take her home or have the relationship I thought she would with her big sister I grieved that she wouldn't run, maybe not walk or talk or hear. Um, And so that became just this echo in my mind. And I feel like Carmen taught me to celebrate the tiny victories. So I started just documenting her first bath, which happened way later. And then I, I celebrated when they tweaked her oxygen or if she came off of a certain medication. Um, when she got her G-tube, these were all unique milestones that were victorious that needed to be celebrated. And um, so I did, I would dress her up. I put bows on her (laughs) little (laughs) wires sticking out of her head. And um, I I decorated her hospital room instead of a nursery. But, um, you know, I feel like At the end, I can look back and see Mm. that I still got to be her mom in the hospital.
1: And you made that home amazing and and sort of a bright, a bright place for her to be. Like you said, it it was like her nursery. She didn't have that to go home to, so you created that for her. And I love that you brought such positivity and, and light to what you were going through. Like you said, it was it's such a dark time, but for you to. Um, celebrate those moments and obviously that I hold that very closely to my heart with my business Miracle Mama and the milestone cards that I've created for premies and medical families so your story there just um, gave me goosebumps it's exactly how I sort of the idea sparked for me to create those milestone cards was in that first moment when the when the nurses said to celebrate every little moment and I started doing the same thing taking photos and using those opportunities so yeah very special I can relate
2: yeah mm-hmm. and I think in those moments you think that you're not going to want to remember them but looking yeah. back there's not a single picture that I regret yeah. taking yeah. you know all of it yeah. was miraculous and Definitely. I'm so thankful that yeah something forced me to celebrate those moments
0: yeah absolutely I just want to give um, a very brief trigger warning to our audience. Um, We will be talking about the loss of Carmen. Um, So if this podcast isn't suitable for you, please feel free to turn off and take care of yourselves. Um, Now, Sydney, I'm a lost mama, as you know, so I come into these questions very carefully. So please feel free to not answer or... um, Take your time if you need to. Um, so after that amazing journey that you went through devastatingly, Carmen lost her battle. Um, if you don't mind, talk us through how this happened. Um, was it sudden in the end or did was it something that you knew was coming?
2: So Carmen actually got to come home, um, which was our prayer from the beginning. Um, so after the 194 days, she went home and she was home for exactly one month in that month, honestly, she thrived. Um, she smiled, she laughed, um, you know, she got to be on the couch with her, with her big sister. We got to take her outside. We had family photos taken. Um, I got to care for her exactly as, as I wanted to. And honestly, she was doing very well. Um, She ended up having a, a blood clot um, that was thrown and cut off perfusion to her intestines. Um, it was a very traumatic <laughs> death. Um, she went back to the PICU, which we say is her first home, and um, was cared by the same people that cared for her in the beginning. Um, I saw my child in a form that no person should ever see another person. Um, And I do believe that we tried everything um, to help her. Towards the end, um, we did have to make a decision how long her life was going to be. Um, They were able to operate and um, they they removed about over 90% of her intestines. So they knew that, um, she was not going to be able to, um, sustain herself. Um, there was a point where my husband and I, we just started praying in her room, needing clarification of what to do. Um, this was probably the first time after all of her operations where truly I saw suffering in her. Um, and one of the doctors that believed in her from the beginning came in on like his day off and held my hand and basically confirmed to us that this was not going to be a good life for her. Um, So I felt like I had already grieved so much of her life that at the end, I just wanted to celebrate her. So we actually had um, a lot of our family come to the hospital. We did communion together. We dedicated her um, to the Lord. We sang. Um, I got to sleep with her. Which was really important to me um, they brought in this other bed so I was able to lay next to her um, I got to dress her up in a little dress that I wore when I was little her sister got to come and say goodbye to her and um, I got to, to hold her when she passed away and honestly I, I don't think that a lot of people will understand this but there was this peace that I had when she passed Um, and my husband and I talk about this often because it makes no sense that a mother just leaves that room and leaves their child (laughs) that they brought into the world Um, but I knew that that she was gone I knew that she was at peace Um, it's something I have to remind myself about a lot Um, but I felt like I got to have that time with her uh, and even that I'll celebrate. You have
0: just such a beautiful way of telling her story and, um, yeah, like I said, as a lost loss mum, we only lost our willow last year, but just to hear you talk about it is just so beautiful and it's amazing that you can share that story so openly with us. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. And having that time with her at the end, obviously that was so special and important for you. Um, Something that I guess people don't talk much about or know much about is the process after a child passes. Um, So sort of what happened? um, Did they, was it sort of like a turning their life support off or did she just pass away? Peacefully, or was it was it quite sudden and traumatic, like you said. But but then you had time after that happened, and then where did where did it all go from there? I guess, yeah.
2: So she was on a lot of support, and it was our choice to kind of remove that support. Um, However, because of the surgery that she had, she basically her stomach was. Almost completely open, so they were able to kind of—it's awful—like um, put her back to, to together, stable enough so that I could hold her. Yeah. Um, and then they removed the breathing tube. She had a lot of medication that was like sedating her and giving her uh like pain wow. relief because of the surgery that they had just had, and um so they basically gave her certain medications as well as removing things that were, um, assisting with like her breathing. Um, which, you know, I wanted to hold her free of everything. I didn't want to hear the monitors beeping, slowing down, anything like that. Um, so it was just my husband and I in the room. Um, they were able to see things outside of the room, but, I didn't want anyone to tell me when she passed away. I just wanted to feel it myself, um, and so it was. It was very peaceful. It was very quiet. We had music on. Um, it was one of the first times that I ever held her without any medical equipment attached to her, which is awful, but um, also it's it's a moment that I treasured. Um, because Mm -hmm. I rarely got to hold her that way. Um, because of the state of her body, um, organ donation was not something that was really on the table for us, which at first we had considered, but that wasn't going to happen. Um, so we actually decided to, to cremate her. And again, Honestly, I'm glad that we're talking about this because it's not—it's not something that's talked about, and it's—you mm. know, this is, they say to have a birth plan, but yeah, um, you know, having a death plan. This—it's these were all decisions that we yeah. had very little time to think about. Yeah. Um.
1: And that's what Emma said in the past with with Willow's passing; like she didn't even have any understanding of what the process after. Mm-hmm after that happens yeah or your options exactly and that it's almost like she wishes that she had had a discussion with someone about that and had some awareness so that she could go in a little bit informed and I know you know I'm so Mm -hmm. sorry that we even have to have this discussion it's just Mm heart-wrenching but um I do think I think it will help so many others yeah yeah
2: absolutely so um my My grandfather had passed away during Carmen's short life, and he was cremated, and so it was something that was sort of on our mind, and we had kind of had those conversations with my grandmother, and so um, I think that was just sort of where we, our heart was. Um, At that time, we didn't have a a home. We didn't have, like, land. Um, There wasn't... It's a child, so it's not like we were already buried somewhere. So it felt like she would be alone.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, as silly as that might sound. But no, yeah. I also had somebody else who had lost a child, and they had their ashes in jewelry. And I thought, okay, that's some way that I would be able to have her close to me. And um, so we did. We actually we had her cremated. Um. and this is something I didn't know. I didn't know that you could visit, like, the funeral home um, the, before that. Like, I didn't know the process of when you leave the hospital, what happens, who mm-hmm. brings the child, you know, all of all of this. And I guess it's different for everyone, but I do know some moms who got to have that time with them out of the hospital, and I do wonder, like, what that would have been like. Um, but – my husband and, and his father went to kind of, like, identify um, the body, and they had her cremated, and then that arrived. We got to pick, like, you know, what we wanted her to be in, and I remember it was such an awful day. <laughs> Just, you know, nothing nothing seemed appropriate. Um, yeah, yeah. But we did find this little silver and pink heart, um, so we we have that upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like on display. And then I got yeah. a necklace for myself, and then um, a bracelet for my mom. And mm-hmm. so I wear that from time to time as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're um we're very similar after Willow passed away we do have like we live in a very small country town um we had willow cremated and I just didn't feel comfortable in her just being down at the cemetery like you said like I felt like she was going to be alone and she was a child and I didn't want her just to be down there so we have her in a bear now at home um which is beautiful out eldest daughter sleeps with her and plays with her and um, it's certainly for us it feels right in our heart and I know that not everyone will always understand that lots of people say oh don't you find that weird like her being at the house or you just stare like she comes in the caravan with us she comes holidaying and some people see that as such a foreign um Mm -hmm. foreign thing but I think people need to remember that they were our children and they were with us Twenty four seven up until the day that they pass. So the thought of them just being on their own somewhere and us not being able to be with them is is just is doesn't sit right with us. Yeah. So post what you've been through, you have incredibly turned your journey into some amazing books, um, which you've published in honor of Carmen and the journey that she's been through, and you've also um, founded a charitable organization so tell us a little bit a bit about that and the journey
2: to creating that certainly um Carmen's life to me was always a miracle and I had this grand idea of writing the miracle of her of her life I wanted to prove all the doctors wrong and just I knew that that this story was going to be incredible and when she passed away I remember being so devastated and saying you know that Her story was over and um, I had written almost every day that I was in the hospital, whether it be on my computer or my phone or somewhere, and my husband took all of these writings and put them in chronological order and said, here's your book. And... I really wanted to just keep it as is, So there was very little editing that went into her story. I wanted it to be raw in the sense of, you know, it's my internal dialogue of how I handled her different diagnosis, my faith journey um, throughout, things that people did to support us. There's pictures of what it looks like when a child comes back from open heart surgery. All of these things that I felt like were so important that I wanted somebody else to know Um, and then I ended up continuing writing for three months after she passed. The crazy thing is after I had the book I felt like I had this like call to action that Carmen had taught me how to love her and how to celebrate her so well that I felt like I needed to put that into something that other parents could have. Um, So then I started Carmen's Miracle Makers again, three months after she passed away. As soon as I had the book launched into the world that day, I found out I was expecting. Um, So it was sort of this whirlwind of life that for me moved very quickly and all with her part of it. Um, So since then, our nonprofit is a 501c3. Last year we supported 328 families um, with care packages that are unique to their child. Um, We support a lot of families that are anticipating heart surgery for their either unborn child or or newborn. So we give them resources. We have milestone cards that are um, sanitary, reusable. They can write in their own milestone that they are working on. Um, we have different things that, you know, they can have at home to help them with safety measures, um, and practical things that help them comfort and care for their child while they're in the hospital, little bow ties for the boys and hair bows for the girls, blankets, um, heart recorders, lots of, lots of goodies. And so, um, Those care packages, either we send directly to families or we actually are partnering with five different hospitals within the U.S. right now to hand those out to qualifying uh, miracle parents. Um, During the beginning of COVID, I ended up publishing two more books. One is called And If You Can't, and this is probably my favorite thing I've ever written in my entire life. Um, I was trying to take a nap one day and I felt like God said, write a children's book. And I was like, I don't really understand how my story would be helpful for a child. Um, But it is the last story I would have wanted to read to Carmen before she passed away. And I wrote it in about four minutes. Uh, I Hmm. helped illustrate it. Me and my friend who is a stillbirth survivor, she helped illustrate as well. So this book is, is very special to me. We have sold lots of copies of this book and uh, palliative care uh, within hospitals uses it as a resource too. Um, And then the other book is called Still Fighting, Battles of a Bereaved Parent. And it's a short book for moms and dads who have just lost a child and then also their support system. People who want to know maybe ways that they can practice Practically support the grieving friend. Um, things to say, not to say. Ways to um, honor the child on special days. Things like that.
1: Wow, Aunt Mum's incredible. Aren't you incredible? I am. Um, I'm going to be honest here. Mm-hmm. One of us, either Emma or myself, usually try to come into our guest interviews um, quite unprepared. So we have like no preconceived ideas, and we can just sort of let our questions flow naturally, be raw and unedited. Well, today that was meant to be me, but then I took one look at your Instagram page and I was hooked. (laughs) I took a deep (laughs) dive down the rabbit hole um, and I think you're such an inspiration. You bring so much comfort to the community. You spark so much hope and positivity through your words, even when they're quite difficult and traumatic. Um, And like you've said, Carmen taught you to always look for something good in each day and if you couldn't find it, you were to create it yourself. Even your slogan for Carmen's Miracle Makers is where every day can be a good day. So freaking special. Um, So is this the way you've sort of tried to live since her passing and is this how you find such optimism and joy after everything you've been through and even creating Carmen's Miracle Makers and supporting other parents? I'm assuming that it's all inspired by your gorgeous little girl, obviously, but this way of living is just so um, beautiful, yeah.
2: Thank you. Um, well, I'll be honest and raw and open here too. Um, there is no amount of purpose that I've found in my pain and gratitude that I've experienced that can heal this type of grief, this side of heaven. That's I, I truly believe that. Um, I suffer panic attacks and anxiety and insomnia, all these things that... I'd say are normal for someone who has gone through such traumatic events. But the hope that I have and the value and worth that I experienced from being Carmen's mom, I've learned has very little to do with time, has very little to do with capability. Um, Her pure existence is something to be celebrated and the love that she entrusted me with and empowered me with is something that I will carry, and that's immeasurable. So yes, um, I have dark days, dark nights, lots of dark nights, Um, but I am very, very blessed that Carmen gave me this mission because I get to wake up every day and continue the work that she started. Um, I don't know if I would be as optimistic without having this passion (laughs) within me. Um, there are seasons for everything. And I, you know, over the last few years, I have allowed myself to step away when I need to and push forward when I need to. Um, and I always say Carmen makes me do hard things because she did hard things and, um, So I'll I'll keep doing hard things for her.
1: Yeah, and you say that um, this is her story, and it's continuing, and it will continue forever. And her part of that story was the hard and the dark days, and still are the hard and the dark days. So I love that you're also so open and raw um, and vulnerable about that too, because it you know we can almost get a little bit um, washed away by social media and the positive spin that we all put on it but you you have such a beautiful mix of the good and the bad and I think that's so important um so yeah you're doing it so perfectly so I really take my hat off to you yeah (laughs)
2: thank you I think it's um you know there's always (laughs) days where I'm like post it don't post it post it don't post it and then Mm -hmm. it's that one comment where someone's like yeah I feel this too and I hate it every time I hate when people can relate to that but then you know I'm thankful and I'll keep sharing yeah. even if it's just one Yeah, right. And that's the importance yeah. of that is oh, just absolutely. reaching that, that
1: one person. Yeah. That yeah. can that can help yeah. them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you went on to have another two beautiful daughters. So clearly a girl mum for life. Um how did you reach that decision after losing Carmen to, to try again? Obviously, you fell um, pregnant, like you said, when you started your journey with your book writing and your organisation. Was that a decision you made consciously? Um, and how did the pregnancy go following such a traumatic
2: experience with Carmen? Um, the before me, I had envisioned two girls that were close in age and that I would be done. When Carmen was born, um, my husband and I both felt like she just gave us so much love. We had this overflowing amount of love that even when she was alive, we were open to having more children because we saw this grand miracle of life within her. Um, You know, it was the first time that I had even paid attention to genetics and all this stuff that just was blowing my mind and just realizing like how perfectly imperfect we all are and um it it strengthened that just wanting to expand our family even through how hard her life was um Yes, we, we got pregnant very quickly and it wasn't necessarily like a conversation that we had. <laughs> um, it was a little bit terrifying and I struggled a lot with um, the idea that people would just erase Carmen um, and that we were you know replacing her so quickly. Um, there was a lot of joy and a lot of sorrow clashing constantly. Um all four of my pregnancies were high risk um and I was very sick through all of them. All of them had tons of complications and testing and all craziness. Um but we knew that it would be worth it.
1: Were you quite anxious following um what happened with Carmen with your pregnancies? I had a um High risk pregnancy with my second, um, after quite a traumatic birth and premature birth and my yeah, my second pregnancy was filled with a lot of anxiety and I really struggled with um worrying about every little niggle and things. So was was that a struggle for you or were you just yeah, trying to separate the two experiences?
2: As much as I try to um, you know, know that this child was going to be different and unique in their own way, um, there was a lot that we had to do, not just for our sake, but for the health provider's sake. Um, so there was a lot of testing that we had to do um, to make sure that, or at least be aware of the genetic condition of our third daughter. Um, so yes, the nerves were were very high for all of us. Um, I did end up having to be on bed rest. Um with Mia, who was our third, and that was a very sanctifying time for me uh, being in the same hospital that Carmen passed away in just a few floors up, carrying this child that um, it all felt very similar. Um, so I I had to consciously tell myself over and over that this was going to be different. Um, and also prepare myself if it wasn't, um, which I think was, was hard because, you know, a lot of people were just throw the, the positive things at you, like, oh, you know, that's not going to happen again, or, you know, mm. this child's going to be normal, or, you know, all these things that yep. were just, like, these jabs. Um, and so I, it was something that I was uh, alone there on, on bed rest and just had some some crazy thoughts and, and had to, to work through a lot there. Um, but it was also really beautiful because even then I got to share about Carmen. Um, and I think at the end of my bedrest time, everybody on the unit had read her book. <laughs> yeah. So it was worth it to me.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm going to have to get my
1: hands on it now too. I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we might have to do an order, Amy, I reckon. (laughs) Yep.
1: And obviously you still have your bad days that we've talked about. And I know we have a number of listeners here who are Mamas of Heart Warriors. So what's something you would say to those who are currently in the depths of their journey? Putting you on the spot here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To the parents who are in the hospital right now with their child, I know the view that you have. I know that your hands feel like they're lacking and unqualified. Um, I remember feeling like, how can I love this person that is you know, sedated? I can't hold them. I can't bathe them. I can't dress them. All of these things that I thought that I would be able to do to love. And I want to encourage you that there is a way that you can love your child, um, that is unique to you and to them. Something for me that someone told me was she can hear you. And, um, I held on to that. I sang to her. I talked to her. I read to her. I cried to her. I prayed for her. I stroked her hair, you know, whatever I could do, I dressed up the walls when I couldn't dress her up and I think that every parent can find that special something that only they can do for their child. Um, I would also say as selfish as it sounds to try to take breaks, Um, try to sleep if you can. Um, Find someone who you can say the ugly things to that isn't going to judge you because there is a lot of ugly that we endure in those moments that you can't talk to everybody about because not everybody understands. But those things need to come out because it's life. It's your child's life that you see and those images don't go away. So I would say to find somebody who you can spill that over to without holding back and um, feeling judged. I think that that is very important.
1: Yes, absolutely. We have um, almost all of our guests and, you know, this is one topic and theme that comes up every time we chat is finding your village, even if you have to go online and, um, And someone who you can be Mm -hmm. raw and open and vulnerable with and share those those hard things because you can't hold them in um and you you can't like you can't just go and talk to your friends at the coffee shop about this sort of stuff you need to really yeah find that those people who understand yeah
0: So at the end of our episodes, we always try and answer one or two listener questions. And if you're up for it, we thought it would be a good opportunity to take advantage of your incredible wisdom and include you in this. So we have found the perfect two questions, we think. Um, One is from a beautiful heart mama of ours, and one is from a lost mama. So um, Amy, have you got the first question there?
1: first question. And this isn't just directed at you. This is for all of us. So don't feel the pressure. On this. Um, <laughs> How do you cope with the initial diagnosis of a congenital heart defect? Well, maybe this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> we found out after birth. And while in a way I'm grateful for that, it was also a massive shock. Well, I think we've kind of covered that, didn't we, earlier about finding yeah, that out. Be, yeah. um,
2: I-, I do have something to add, though, because um, while I don't think that it's better or worse to find out sooner or later. That's crushing no matter when you find out. Um, It does seem like those that do find out earlier are able to prepare in a sense, whereas um, now you have the child and you're now given this diagnosis that you all of a sudden have to kind of learn this new language about. Um, So I think that was something for me why I wrote so much was because I was learning so much. There were terms mm-hmm. that are just, you know, spilled at you over and over and I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a healthcare professional. And so all of this was very new. Um so I think that taking notes, um, even if it's just in your phone, to kind of get it out and then break it down in a in a sense that that you can understand. There are parts of Carmen's diagnosis that I had to learn in a way that only I could learn because it didn't make mm-hmm. sense to me with these numbers and yeah. formulas. And so I feel like to to have grace in those moments, to ask those questions, to not be afraid to to have someone sit down and you know draw you a picture, whatever it is, um, and then keep it. And it comes at you so fast. There's so much information that writing it down. It has helped me and I think a lot of people, you know, will be able to retain that and, and hold on to it when you have that.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, we, I struggled with this a lot. A lot of the time I was in the hospital on my own and you're in such an emotional and exhausted state that by the time the doctors come around to retain the information that they tell you in that quick, sometimes five, 10 minutes mm-hmm. where they just sort of blurt everything out and then they move along it's really hard I remember my husband would text text or call me and say oh, what did the doctors say and I'd be like um like I have no idea like I can't, can honestly not remember so I remember I started like I obviously asked the doctors and I started to press record on my phone and took a vote like a voice memo so that I could then listen back to it mm-hmm. once they'd left or I could also send it on um to my husband so I think that's or play it back to the nurses and say like hey what did what did they mean in this part or um what's this test or because at the time you're just taking it in and you don't often think to ask mm-hmm. the questions because you're just trying to navigate the information that they've given you so I think that's really good advice is um to take notes and don't be afraid to ask questions or call your doctor back if you have to and yeah I was gonna say um, don't be afraid to
1: ask for a team meeting as well I think that's one thing like you're saying Emil when the doctors do the rounds in the morning I think that because they are so time limited and they seem to just be you know needing to get to the next patient that we we feel like we're being a burden but no that's your child and you deserve to have the information that you want and need in front of you especially if it's to make decisions um So if you need to, ask the nurses to to call the doctor back or to set up a team meeting so that you can actually get these questions out and like you said, write the questions down so that when they do come, you can literally sit there and tick them off and don't let them leave until they're all ticked off because you do deserve um, that information. And yeah, yeah, trying to get them to explain it in the simpler terms as possible, which is obviously not always. But like you said, Sydney, I have found pictures um, quite helpful as well. So however however it is that yeah. you need to take on that information. But yeah, that initial shock is I think not having time to do the research and then it's all there in mm-hmm. front of you and it's just you have to figure it out as you go. I think that's probably the biggest mm-hmm thing about finding
2: after birth and taking Um, you know taking care of yourself you know you just gave birth you have this rush of hormones the night sweats you're pumping yeah (laughs) engorged you know all these things you you're not sleeping you're worried sick um so I, I do feel like there is that's that's just a lot at once so yeah
0: yeah so I think this yeah, I think this second question could definitely have been from me, but it's it's not. Um, so one of our listeners has asked, um, I'm new to my grief and I'm struggling to get past feeling angry. Will I ever be able to move past this constant state of asking why me or why us?
1: That was probably directed at you, Emma, but are you still in, are you saying you're still in that state? <sighs>
0: Well, yeah, I think so, I think, um, like Sydney says, it comes in ebbs and flows some days, um, you're not okay with your grief, but I think I can sit comfortably with it and I can take on the day, and then other days, I'm very much so angry and i'm I'm why me? why us? what did we do wrong? Could have we have done more um yep. So, yeah, I don't know, Sydney, how do you feel? Obviously, you're a, a little bit further along into your journey than what we are. I think the grief is probably still the same, but have you managed to tackle those inner thoughts a little bit more than someone who is quite new to their
2: grief? If I'm honest, I would say that the first year for me was just going through the motions. There's a lot that I thought I was dealing with um, correctly, but I wasn't. I was just Mm -hmm. kind of just moving along. Um, whereas the second year I started asking the harder questions and I feel like I had more of the why, what if, could we? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I feel like even now, um, being even further along, there are questions that that come up, um, that I didn't ask myself in the beginning. And I feel like my grief has matured in a sense where maybe I was afraid to think of certain things because in the beginning I just, you know, was trying not to have a panic attack every single second. Um, whereas now that I have moved from that, there are things that I think about or things, you know, memories that come back to me being farther removed that, Mm -hmm. I have to sit with and I know mm-hmm. I have to sit with and it's uncomfortable and it gets ugly but knowing myself now I have to do that to be able to to move forward and um, I think that at this point I know that there isn't a part of me that is untouched by her um, mm-hmm. how I dress how I decorate my house how I raise my children all of it is because of her and i think that that is something that i have to hold on to and that there is there's not this sense of like departing from her or or even leaving that grief like the grief is the love it's the joy it's the sorrow it's all of it together every emotion that i've ever felt for her will continue and so i think that i am able to kind of go over those those humps of of anger um because I do know now that that she's not going away you know she's she's always my little girl
0: yeah
1: that is the perfect way to wrap up I think Mm -hmm. my gosh um thank you so much Sydney yeah for for coming and being so vulnerable I know it's it's not easy um so we really appreciate you opening up um I know you're going to help so many of our listeners and um Hopefully we can give you some some of the feedback that we receive, um, but yeah, enjoy your night over there. It's um quite a big time difference between between us at the moment. We're in the middle of the day, and um, you're near bedtime, I think, aren't you? Yeah.
2: Yes, yes, I am. Because well, I'm like a grandma, and I go to sleep at eight thirty anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Have your girls stayed asleep?
2: Um. I can't hear them. So I'm going to go with yes. Good sign. The little one still wakes up <laughs> like two or three times a night. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. I really appreciate
2: it. You Aww, guys are awesome. Thank, thank you. you.
0: Wow. How amazing was that? I think I could have sat there and listened and chatted to Sydney for hours. Don't you reckon Amy?
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. And the amount of times you and I were just there absolutely speechless, like our faces yeah. were just...
0: Yeah, like if you could see us... Yeah.
1: She'd stop talking and we'd be like, oh, crap, that's our turn. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think yeah. I was just so yeah. mesmerised by what she was saying. I was like, shit, i got to speak now. Like I need to have some sort of input, but I was just so like... Yeah, yeah, everything she said, just the way she put things into words was just so beautiful and um, she's obviously had such lived experiences with what she's been through and she's really had a chance Mm -hmm. to reflect on it all and just the way she explains it is just incredible. Um, Spot on,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. I really loved especially the end of the episode when she said, I do know that she's never going away. I think that's just such a perfect ending to her story and just her um, way she goes about life. So I think that's super special.
1: And she'll always be my little girl.
0: Yeah, I just think that was so beautiful. Um, yeah,
1: it's very moving, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So exciting news. Um, Sydney has actually offered to give away um, three of her books. So all three of her books, Carmen and If You Can't and Still Fighting. Um, so keep an eye mm-hmm. out on our social media page for... Um, a post probably tomorrow so the day after this episode drops which will explain how you can go into the draw to win all three of her books um which will be yeah a very amazing prize especially for this community yeah so thank you Sydney for that
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We will be excitingly speaking to another lost mama um, in our next episode, but she is also a trained hypnotherapist from the grief that she's been through. Um, So that's really exciting. She's hopefully going to give us a heap of coping strategies um, to deal with our grief and our trauma. And she's going to tell us the beautiful story of her, triplets that she lost only last year so that one's going to be a really exciting one.
1: Yeah and I think it'll be a good one to follow on from today's episode as well so yeah um, there will be you know it will also still be a little bit triggering but I think that she'll have a lot of you know personal and professional insight and knowledge to sort of offer and be able to use her professional skills to give our audience um, like you said a few coping strategies and ways to try and um, manage the anxiety yeah. and the trauma that comes with yeah. with all of these experiences. So, yeah, looking forward to speaking yeah. to her. Her name is Elle, Elle Margitson, um, Hypnotherapy. So look her up yeah. and uh, do a bit of research yeah. before we have a chat to her. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's all from us today. Um, we would love if you could now go to your um, podcast platforms and leave us five stars and a review. We're trying to obviously reach as many loss grief preemie NICU special needs mum as it's possible and we need your help to do that even just share our page and spread the word that'd be really special
0: yeah thanks everyone for listening again and we'll talk to you again next week bye